Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Oheb Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So this week we read Parshat Chukat, which has another wonderful series of like amazing things going on. Miriam and Aharon die. There's the, the striking of the water, um, the rules to the red heifer, all these different things going on. Um, and, and even though it's a Parsha that's a lot about the death of the leaders, I actually think it contains the saddest, one of the saddest scenes to me in the Torah um, that doesn't actually involve death at all. But I think to me is really indicative of a big family tragedy. And so I wanted to just focus on this little scene today, one that ordinarily we might not pay as much attention to given all the other rich, juicy things, um, and talk about why exactly, what its significance is and why it is so sad. So um, we have in the fourth Aliyah, which is in chapter 20, um, begins with the 14th verse, that they're traveling, so they're traveling on the Israelites, and that they're in Kadesh, and Moshe sends messengers to the king of Edom. And Edom, of course, being the land that is um, Asab's land originally, right? These are the land where Asab's descendants are living. Um, and this moment kind of echoes when es- when Yaakov sends messengers to Asab when they're getting ready to cross the Asab's territory back in Brashit. Um, the same language of Vaishlach, right? That's what the Parsha is named for. They sent messengers ahead. So Moshe sends messengers ahead to the king of Edom and opens with this, you can say detail, you can call it dramatic, you can call it really anything you want. It was a question of what tone you read it in. But he says, ah, ko amar achicha Yisrael, thus says your brother Israel, you know all of the hardships that have befallen us, that our, our, our ancestors went down to Egypt. We dwelt there a long time. The Egyptians, right? They were bad to us. It almost sounds like a mini Haggadah. Right, we cried out to God and heard our plea and sent a messenger who freed us from Egypt. And now we're in Kadesh, the town on the border of your territory, right? Basically, we've we've come this far. Here's all the things we went to. We've come this far, and now we're close to your land. So here's the request: allow us then to cross into your country, right? They want to use the land of Edrum just as a thoroughfare, just as a means of getting through to get to the land of Israel. They say, don't worry, we're not going to pass through your fields or your vineyards. We're not going to drink your water from the wells. We're just going to follow Der HaMelech, the king's highway. Basically, we just need to use, you know, the road through. We're not going to touch anything. We're not going to take any of your stuff. We just need to pass through. Right. So it seems like a fairly innocuous request. And certainly if you're Edom, you would think, well, Here's this giant group of people that just wants to pass through. They clearly don't want any trouble. You know, it's sort of like one person's gain and another person is neutral, not gaining, not losing. It probably would make sense to just let the Israelites come through. But yet we see this like this very dramatic and forceful response that should, is so forceful, it should almost catch us uh, by surprise. Because Vayomer Elav Edom, Lot Avorbi, Pein Bacherev Etzeli Kratecha. Edom answered, you shall not pass through us or else we're going to come out against you with the sword. So this is a very violent, very firm denial of the request. 
and the Israelites return, they say, but, do, but we're going to, we're going to stay on the path, right? And, and if, if anyone needs to even just drink a little water, we're going to pay you for it, right? We're really, we're just asking to cross through on foot, right? You're not going to lose anything, say the Israelites to Adom. Trying to once again, I think, use logic um, to appeal to Adom to try to let them through. But once again, Vayomer lo ta'avor. But they replied, nope, you shall not pass through. And Edom went out against them in heavy force, strongly armed. And then the last pasuk of this little incident, So Edom would not let, or they refused to let Israel cross their territory. And as a result, Israel turned away from them. Now, of course, we have to ask the question of what is the point of this little story? Why are we including it here? Is it just part of the journey of the Israelites that gets included, just like plenty of stops in the journey get included? Or is it trying to teach us something else? Now, for many, and I, I'm pretty sure we've discussed this at some point in the podcast before, because it's a, it's a very big topic and one that interests me a lot. Many people would probably say, well, this story is here to demonstrate how evil Edom and Esav are, right? That Edom, who, you know, ends up getting portrayed as, as the Romans and then the Christians, they're this evil nation. They always have it out for the Jews. They've always wanted to destroy us. And look, it traces all the way back to the Torah, right? This is a fundamentally evil, cruel people that even when the Israelites present a perfectly logical argument and a very minimal request, they just say no, they have no interest and they want to violently reject any attempt to help anybody else. Right. And I, I think we would certainly see that as a mainstream interpretation because it, it, it both reinforces, it serves as the foundation of and reinforces that narrative that Edom is really the epitome of evil. But I think that if you limit it to that interpretation, you miss something bigger that's happening in the story. Um, and the, what's happening in the Torah, and the way that this connects back to Breshit. So as we said, back in Breshit, Yaakov and his family in Parsha Ishlach, well, and others, they're crossing, they're making their way from Laban's territory into back to Canaan, back to the land of Israel. And the same thing happens. They need to cross through Esau's land. They need to cross through Esau's territory. And so Yaakov sends messengers ahead to Esau. And once again, is like deeply um, ingratiating, I guess, is that the word? Where it's just deeply saying like, you know, uh, we, we, um, your brother is coming, your, your family, I've been with Lavan. Don't worry, I have everything that I need. I've got cattle, I've got slaves, I've got a big family. Um, you know, just like, we're, we're just hoping to, to, to find favor in your eyes, right? Basically, I'm coming near you. Last time we saw each other, things weren't so good. Remember last time they saw each other was when Yaakov stole the blessing from Esau and Esau said that once his father, once their father died, that he was going to kill them, which is why Yaakov had to run away in the first place. And so now it's many years later, Yaakov's getting close to Esau's territory is clearly terrified of what Esau might do to him. And so he sends messengers saying, I have everything I could possibly want. And I'm just kind of hoping 
to appease you, I guess, um, so that you don't try to kill me or something like that. And Asav um, has a much different reaction than Edom did in our Parsha in Chukat. Asav <coughs> comes, he says, sends messengers saying, okay, he's coming, he's got 400 men with him. Um, and Yaakov, of course, reacts and thinks the worst that Asav's coming to attack him. But as we see, Asav really is not coming to attack him. Asav is coming to excitedly welcome Yaakov and his family um, and is clearly interested in a reunion. Right, and Yaakov can't, this is we spoke about back in Parsha Vishlach, Yaakov can't really accept that Asaf is actually interested in, in a reunion, that Asaf has moved on. And Yaakov remains suspicious of Asaf the entire time and is just very, very hesitant, if not refusing, to engage in any kind of relationship with Asaf. And where that culminates is Asaf says, Hey, look, you've got all these people, you guys must be exhausted. Why don't you come to my land, right? Come with me, come with me to Seir, which is, you know, another name of the land where they are. Um, and Yaakov, continuing to be his suspicious self, says, no, 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 please don't worry. <laughs> Everyone, it's too long for them to walk. And, you know, Asaph is just insisting, insisting, insisting. And Yaakov is saying, no, we're too slow. We're too slow. We're too slow. Um, and so Yaakov eventually basically says, you know what, you go ahead, right? You go ahead, we'll travel slowly and eventually we'll catch up to you, right? So you have a day to get ready. And when we get there, we get there. And so Asaph sound said, you know, basically <laughs> implied is that Asaph says, sounds great. In chapter 33, verse 16, right? So Asaph starts back on that day on his way back to Seir. And he's excited because his brother and all of his family are going to be joining him. But then the next pasuk tells us, Ve'yakov nasa Sukota. Actually, what happened? Yaakov went to Sukkot. Yaakov never ends up in Seir. He just goes straight to Sukkot. And so what we see here, what happens in Breshit, this very tragic conclusion to the story of Yaakov and Esav, is one in which Esav has clearly indicated that he's ready to forgive Yaakov. Yaakov totally cannot wrap his head around this, can't really bring himself to believe it. And as a result, they leave it on terms where Esav goes home expecting Yaakov and his family to follow, and then they never show up. But you can imagine what kind of devastation that would imprint on Esav. Um, you would imagine this would make him quite sad. And I could see, certainly, possibly make him angry also. And that, I would posit, would have created a narrative in which Jacob, Yaakov, and his descendants are ones not to be trusted, or they're the ones who lied, right? Because that's basically what Yaakov does, is he lies. He says, I'm going to follow you, and then he doesn't. And what my suspicion is that this created a very sad and toxic narrative around Yaakov that grew into the fabric of the Edomite society, such that when generations later, a few hundred years later, when Yaakov's descendants are approaching, we're recreating a similar scene. They're with children, they're with animals, they're with everything, and they want to cross through that land again. This time, Esau's not coming out to greet them warmly. This time, Edom says, hey, we know what happened last time we did this. We trusted you, and you betrayed that trust. And so they come out with the sword, and they say, no way that you are not coming through. You are not our friends. You are not our allies. You are not our brothers. Uh-uh. This relationship is done. 
Because the last time we see that relationship is when Yaakov essentially exploits it, right? Because he's able to pass through and then he just gets to go wherever he wants and he doesn't end up owing anything to Esav. And so that's why when I said that I think that this is one of the saddest scenes in the Torah, it's specifically because of that, because it shows you how Yaakov's failure to move on, to believe in the good in Esav, to actually challenge himself to reconcile with his brother, created a generations long, a centuries long narrative um, of in, within Edom of betrayal, I think of lack of trust, of um, of just feeling so let down by Yaakov and his descendants that we see here that play out in real time, that they're just, they're so hostile to the Israelites that they refuse to let them in. And, um, you know, as always, I think these are good lessons for us on what it means, the importance of engaging in meaningful confrontation, because it shows you that when you're too afraid to, when you're unwilling to reconcile, when you're unwilling to be honest, the effects can be damaging and damaging for many, many years. Shabbat Shalom.